Game on, everybody. It is All In Sports. Jake Seeley, your host, as always. You can follow me at All In Kid if you're not already. And as speaking of that type of stuff, if you're not already, go to theathletic.com slash All In Sports. You get 40% off. Uh, if you're not over there, I don't know why, because it's not just my rankings. It's not just our fantasy football draft kit, which is amazing. It is everything you can find for every single professional sports team anywhere. It's the best stuff in the business. But as a quick heads up before we get into today's guest, which are two terrific guests, Michael Robinson, former player, Emery Hunt, scout of the nation, one of the best in the world. I don't know what happened. I got a new computer and the audio is a little muffled. As you can tell, this sounds fine. But when we get to the recordings, it's muffled a little bit on my end. They sound clear. I apologize in advance. Please try to stick through it and stay with it because it is amazing information. Both Mike and Emery give you a lot to help you out for this season from the NFL world and from the fantasy perspective. So stick through it. I appreciate your understanding. And let's let's do it. And let me get to my first guest for today. Uh, you know him as Michael Robinson. If you follow him on Twitter, you know him at Real Mike Rob. You know him from the NFL Network. You know him if you follow him at Penn State, Seattle Seahawks, everything. I want to first just thank you for coming on the show, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, brother. Thank you for having me. I always look forward to uh, speaking to NFL fans, no matter where they are. Always love the opportunity. Look, quick sidebar before we jump into this, because you're a PSU alum. I have said for like three years in a row, people haven't res- like respected the wide receivers coming out of that school. From It started with Allen Robinson. Then it was Chris Godwin, who now people are finally on this year. And then Deshaun Hamilton, like, what is it? Why doesn't anybody respect the wide receivers coming from your school? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it goes back to that. First of all, it goes back to the archaic idea that there's no speed in the Big Ten and, you know, all of those types of things, all the speed and athletic ability is in the ACC and in the AC, SEC and in the ACC. And I, we know that's true. That's just not that's just not the case. Um, but I, other than that, I don't know why they keep disrespecting uh, <laughs> At Penn State, man, it's crazy. But what I will say, they go into the National Football League polished, and they usually have great careers. That is 100% true. All right, so let's talk about some of the biggest news in the NFL right now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, this, so I saw Mike in person because he's from Richmond, Virginia, at Mike Tomlin's. Hampton Roads Youth Foundation is a great event he does every single year. Uh, if you guys don't know, if you happen to be in Virginia at all, I recommend coming out and you know supporting the program. Uh, but you and I talked, and that's why I'm having you on the show. The biggest news, obviously, is Andrew Luck. And I know you can come at this, obviously, from the real-life side of the NFL things as well as what is this going to do for the rest of the team. So initially, the first question comes, Mike, at quarterback, and it's Jacoby Brissett. And how much do you think the offense takes a step back? Do you think this hurts their overall potential as a team? And is there any growth of when you hear – I mean, you've you played the game. When you hear stuff about Brissett has been in the gym and trying to learn and practicing and wanting to get better, is there still also still limitations on just how good he could be? Yeah, I mean, obviously he's not Andrew Luck, but at the same time, Jacoby Brissett is a – he's a starting quarterback in the National Football League. In my opinion, he's one of the top 32 or 33 arms in the National Football League. Now, what you lose when you lose – and Andrew Luck is, you lose the ability late in games, you lose the ability when you go up against teams that, you know, probably on paper are better teams than you. You, use the, you lose the ability to have just that quarterback come on in and save the day. I always tell people all the time, um, I, I, obviously I believe that the quarterback pay scale is broken, but if you're going to pay <laughs> 25 or 30 or sometimes, you know, it's getting close to 40 million a season now, if you're going to pay that guy that much, 
I, I don't need you to be great when the running game is clicking and my offensive line is healthy and everything is hitting the defense and shutting everybody out. I need you to be great when the defense isn't stopping anybody. We can't run the football, and maybe our left guard is our left guard is injured, and um, we don't, you know, the, the the blocking unit is stressed at that particular point. And I need you to overcome that. That's yeah. what the uh, Indianapolis Colts are going to miss. They're just going to miss that special quality. But I take it back a few years ago. I was on uh, NFL um, Total Access. Um, and I first started talking about how I just feel like guys are going to start to retire a little bit earlier. And uh, one of our hosts, uh, Lindsay Rhodes, you know, she was a little taken back by it. And I said it because when you, when you have young people making so much money, and hey, I love it. Make as much money <laughs> as you possibly can. Go get it, man. Spend that money, whatever you want to say. But when you have guys making that much money, Okay, Andrew Luck's made close to a hundred million dollars in his career already. Okay, and we, as we saw that the Indianapolis Colts, they're not going to recoup any of the money that they've given him. Okay, when you've made close to a hundred million dollars and you've been hurt the last two or three years, and you're tired of going through rehab, why keep playing? Your bank, <laughs> your bank, seriously, your bank account is telling you you're straight. Your bank account is telling you your kids' kids are going to be okay. So why do you continue to play? And I think Andrew Luck is the latest example of when guys just have other interests. Guys, look, we're moving on from the generation where football is just the only thing in some of these young people's lives. I think you're starting to see guys have other interests. And to me, that's good for the game of football and great for the players. Well, so that's actually part of the question. I wasn't going to ask you this, but you made me think of it. As you said, you said good for the game of football. Is it potentially on a flip side also bad? Like, are we going to look back on Andrew Luck and say, ah, this is kind of where the NFL started to slide back from talent being around as long as it used to be? No, I, I just don't think I just don't think it's going to be that because look, at the end of the day, there's not many there's not many um, opportunities in life where somebody can use their genetics, and I ain't going to say overnight because it's a whole process, but kind of, you, know, you hear your name called in the draft, and then overnight you, you, know, you have access to this wealth. That's not going to change. Um, uh, there's communities uh, um, here in America that are so impoverished um, that some, some young people think that football and athletics or entertainment is their only possible way out. So I don't think it's going to hurt the game um, in that respect because there's a draft every year, right? We're always refilling um, guys that leave our league. But what I, can, what, I will say is, what I will say is this. It does open our young people up and lets them know, hey, you know, my identity ain't in just football. I can right. do so many other things. And I think that's what's going to help the sport overall because now moms and dads, you know, single moms and single dads are going to actually, you know, continue to sign their kids up for football even more knowing, look, my kid can learn something out of the game and, and, and not be beat up for it or learn something out of the game, have, possibly have access to these resources, have access to this wealth, and he ain't got to play forever. And he can still do everything he wants to do in life and be a young man when he's done. All right, so giving it to the Colts then, what, what are your thoughts on the offense as a whole? Like, obviously, you said, this is Andrew Luck. He's not going to be there at the end of the game. It's not the same. Uh, Matt, Marlon Mack, we've heard the reports that they want to turn him into the bell cow, their guy this year. But you got to think the touchdowns come back a little bit for him. You know, we've seen T.Y. Hilton's numbers when it happened a couple of years ago that he went from being a wide receiver one in the league to a wide receiver three. You have Funches in there with his, you know, some drop problems. Paris Campbell's a rookie. Deion Kay. 
And then he did like Jack Doyle a ton when he was there before, but at the same time, Eric Ebron wasn't on this team. So what, what's the waterfall effect for you when it comes to the rest of the players now that Brissett's a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, look, man, I, with Andrew Luck playing, I had this as I had this offense as like the number two or number three offense in the NFL, again, because of the special ability of the quarterback. I think uh, Jacoby Brissett does have – uh, good throwing ability. Is he in the class of Andrew Luck? I wouldn't put him in the class of Andrew Luck quite yet, but I do think he's a strong-armed guy, has some mobility, um, and he has he does have that ability to be able to will teams to wins. Uh, I do think that this team got a lot more physical last year. Um, it went from having Andrew Luck being the most hit quarterback in the NFL to being the, the least hit quarterback in the NFL. This team was number one in um, giving up sacks, meaning they, meaning that they did not give up many. And if they can continue with this physical brand of football on the offensive side of the ball, I love um, Ryan Center, Ryan Kelly. I love Quentin Nelson and those big guys up front they spent some first-round picks on because if they can just embody that nasty culture and run the football with some authority, you're not going to look at the end of games. You're not going to look at the end of the season and, and, and say Jacoby Brissett had to win you a lot of games. He can just be the quarterback of the team and play complimentary football and not be the show, not be the focal point. When you have an Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck will be the focal point of a team. Now with Jacoby Brissett, you got to lean on another aspect of your team. It could be defense. Maybe this team comes out and just totally stops people. Um, I love what they do with that cover two defense um, out in the back end with Matt Eberflutes. Maybe that's the identity that this team goes to. But I'll tell you one thing, the quarterback position to me will not be the show, will not be uh, the focal point of this team anymore. All right, fair enough. So speaking of running the ball, let's talk about the other big piece of news. Unfortunately for Lamar Miller, he's out for the entire season. Duke Johnson steps in. Now we've seen Duke Johnson flash a ton. Well, it was just two years ago, he was one of the best receiving backs in the NFL. And I still think, me personally, talent-wise, he's still one of the best. Do you think he can be the lead option in the backfield, or are you believing some of the rumors that maybe a cut like Carlos Hyde or TJ Yeldon comes in just because Duke Johnson's got that size where you start to worry about his being able to stand up to it as a pounding of the NFL? Yeah, I love Duke Johnson. He's a, he's a, he's a really good back. Um, I just don't see him as a bell cow. I don't see him as a guy that's – that can take the ball from the dot, from the from the eye position, or from the backfield, and, and carry the ball 30 or 35 times. That's just not him. Uh, he can affect the game in so many other ways. I do think that they're going to bring another veteran back in. When you look at the backs that they have, you know, Buddy Howe, Josh Fergus, and somebody uh, Taiwan Jones. He's ran the football a little bit in this, a little bit in the league. But everybody else um, are rookies. So. I would look for them to bring in a, a veteran presence. I would even look at a may, maybe possibly trading for a Melvin Gordon. I mean, he's a bell cow of a back. Could you imagine putting this, putting a Melvin Gordon in the backfield with a Deshaun Watson, and then you have, um, then you have um, uh, Hopkins on the outside. That's a formidable one-two-three punch. So we'll see. But I do think that they're going to bring in another veteran back. I don't think that Duke Johnson can carry the load again, strictly just running the football um, and be the bell cow in that in that regard. All right, so I'm glad you brought up Melvin Gordon, just because this is now a pure NFL side of things for you. The you talk about get your money before, and I'm with you. I'm I'm always out there saying, go get your money, go get your money, go get your money. And Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon are both holding out. It sounded this entire time like Ezekiel Elliott is probably going to be likely for Week One. Although now we're getting really close to the season here. Melvin Gordon sounded like that was a given. He wasn't going to be probably until the middle point of the season. 
Do you have any read on either one of those? And, of course, on the NFL side of things, uh, do you think that they have much ground to stand on because both of them still have another year on their contract? So it's kind of a tough boat that they're in to demand money and still have that much of a contract left. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, when you look at Melvin Gordon, he has one year left on his contract. I can see him holding out all of those things. Um, but Ezekiel Elliott, top tier back, one of the top three, two, three or four uh, backs in the National Football League, he actually has two years left. Um, right. On the field. So I don't see, you know, and I've said it before, especially in Ezekiel Elliott's case, when you have two years left, you've already had your owner saying they're not going to reset the market. I get that. Okay. Now, yes, you are the bell cow. Yes, you are the reason why that, that, that this team could possibly go to a Super Bowl, all of those types of things, but you got two years left. Right. And one thing that I do know about rich guys is they don't like to be made fun of. They don't like to be um, looked at in a bad light. So when you don't show up and you put the onus squarely on your ownership, that makes them look bad. I don't think Zeke Elliott is going to get what he what he wants uh, now. If I'm if I was Ezekiel Elliott, I would have showed up to training camp. I wouldn't have done any eleven on eleven. I wouldn't have played in any preseason games. Every single time we went to eleven on eleven, my hamstring would have been tight. But I would have. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I would have done every walkthrough. Why? Because I need to be there. To, I, you got to show up to get your blessing. You got to be there. You can't let other guy, you can't let Jason Garrett or, 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 or Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator or, 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 or the general manager, anybody, you can't let everybody else see other guys taking your reps because at the end of the day, they start to form a vision of somebody else being in the backfield. And at the end of the day, you're not an owner. So you don't have that much ground to stand on. This league will continue to move on and function without you. And I don't know if all players truly understand that, especially when they're in the prime, when they're in the, you know, the prime of their life, like Ezekiel Elliott is. So if I was Ezekiel, I would have showed up and negotiated kind of behind closed doors. And when my players and when my teammates would have asked me, you know, why I'm not playing on 11-11, why I'm not playing in the preseason games, why I'm not playing in week one, I would tell them, you need to go up to Jerry and you need to tell him to pay me. That's how you get it done, right? Melvin, Gord Melvin Gordon's case, I do think, look, go get as much money as you possibly can, but I'm also a realist. I like to feel about stuff. Uh, Melvin, love you to death, brother. The Big Ten back, all of those things. You're not a $15 million a year back. You aren't. You just are not. You're more in the, you're more in the range of 10 to 12. I'm hearing that the Los Angeles Chargers offered him in that range. You can't let that money roll off the table because the next time you get offered that money, you're going to be a year older. Le'Veon Bell, he didn't get the same money that the Pittsburgh Steelers once offered him, right? So it's just the nature of the running back position. I think these two guys are in the same boat a little bit, but they, they do have some nuances about their situations that make it a little bit different. And the reason why the running back Pace pay market is is broken, but on the bad on, you know on the bad end of it is because when you look at the running back position, we're the only position in all of the all of the positions on the football field that when we get the ball is behind the line of scrimmage and all eleven defenders are attacking. No other position can say that, and I think that's why uh, you see the wear and tear on backs, and I think that's also why uh, you see teams not valuing backs as much as they value other positions. That's a really good point. All right, so let's talk about your Seahawks. And, you know, there's a huge question mark this year. Like, we've seen Russell Wilson do amazing things so far, but no Doug Baldwin. And he didn't really have Doug Baldwin for a lot last year to begin with. But 
going into this season, Tyler Lockett's the number one. DK Metcalf, a rookie with his own concerns of route running, all that type of stuff. We've heard the reports. We've seen the, the, the tape at the Combine of all that. Possibly he's the number two. David Moore's in the mix. He's Jerron Brown's. Been, what are your thoughts on Russell Wilson basically being able to go in with a bunch of question marks in the passing game this year? Yeah, I mean, but this is this is this team ran the ball more than any other team in the national. Fifty-two percent, man. <laughs> so I mean, we can talk about all the weapons he doesn't have, but at the end of the day, as long as that big, strong offensive line is still intact, they have Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and those guys in the background ready to ready to put put it in in, in overdrive. I would consider them to continue to have the success that they've always had and allow Russell Wilson to be magical at the end of games or when we need him to be magical. You don't need Russell Wilson throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game like they did in the first three weeks of the season last year. If you notice, after the first quarter of the season, this team totally did a, a, a 180. They went from throwing the ball a lot to you know what we just gonna run it and so what if we get if we lose we're just gonna lose ten to uh ten to seven and we'll just lose that way but we're gonna beat you up and they put the, they put the game in a phone booth I would expect them to do the same thing I was up there uh, for training camp this year um, this team seems to be rejuvenated um, there's only three players on that team from the Super Bowl team that I played on and that's KJ Wright Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson the three leaders. Uh, of the team. And I think that when you look at Pete's message, they always compete and all of those things. Now he has a fresh group of guys in there that can get excited about that message again. And they seem hungry, man. And I'm not just saying that because I played uh, for the Seattle Seahawks, but it, it, they seem hungry. And it, it, it's, it's, that, it's that hunger like we had back in 2010. It just feels different than it's felt in other years. So I would expect them to be right there at the end of the year. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl or whatever the case may be. But I am saying the Los Angeles Rams is not going to be easy to win the NFC West. Real quick, before two more things and then we'll get you out of here. As a sidebar, it, Cam Chancellor, I just want to ask you, so he came to my church down here in Virginia Beach. And, I, you know, of course, I introduced myself. I shook his hand. That, did you ever notice his hands? They're almost like giant pillows. Like my hands sunk into his. It was like the softest, yeah. giantest hand I've ever felt in my life. Dude, dude is a big, big guy. He's lost a lot of weight now. Um, but uh, Cam, one of the hardest hitters at any position. I don't care what position you play. Right, and that's why I was so surprised his hands were so soft. <laughs> <laughs> he got some soft hands. But he did used to play quarterback, though. You oh, that's true. That's true. Quarterbacks, you know, got to have soft hands. All right. So, like I said, let's talk about the division and get you out of here. The 49ers, there's a lot of questions about their backfield so far because this preseason, and this will kind of, you know, pigeon off into, I want to know your thoughts on preseason in general because you've definitely been on the field and been in that examination process, is if you're looking at the preseason so far, the 49ers backfield looks like Tevin Coleman's being outplayed. Tevin Coleman was brought in, but Matt Breida looks better. Jarek McKinnon's missed time because he's hurt, but are we seeing what we thought where Tevin Coleman could be the lead with Brita and McKinnon sprinkled into now a full timeshare or even a committee because Coleman has struggled so much? Or are you on the side of, hey, you know what? It's preseason. Let's not read too much into it. Yeah, I think it's preseason. I mean, if we're going by that logic, um, should, Gar uh, should Garoppolo even be the starter? You know no. what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's preseason. Um, uh, and these guys will, will start to get it cranking as we get closer to the season. But, I mean, it, you look, you talk about specifically the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, 
to me, I think what happened last year with him getting hurt and what we're starting to see him coming back from is why you don't pay him up, why you don't pay him the, the, what you with the 49ers ended up paying him. We haven't seen this kid respond to adversity, really. You know, he was a backup um, out there in New England, played a few games, but you always knew you had Tom Brady there. He was the starter. You play a few games with the San Francisco 49ers, and they pay you a huge contract. Again, that's why I say the quarterback pay scale is broken. <laughs> much money just because he's the next guy up. It has nothing to do with skill, right? Um, and to me, I wouldn't have paid him that without actually seeing him have to respond to adversity and things like that. And so uh, I think this team, the success of this team squarely falls on the shoulders and health of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. If he's healthy and if he's spinning it around, if he's not turning the football over, I think you see a better Tevin Coleman. I think you see a better run game. And if the offense is better, that, that, that to me, top five, um, you know, uh, front seven that they have with all the first-round picks because they, they were bad, in, in, you know, in the previous <laughs> Uh, I think now you can have that front seven come alive. I mean, D Ford, you know, I mean, th this dude's out here balling. I mean, DeForest Buckner, all of these guys are like, you can't leave them one-on-one. -on -one. And it's just what? not enough people to block them all, but there's not enough people to double-team them all. So if this offense can show up led by Jimmy Garoppolo, everything falls in place and this defense can be dominant. Well, what about the receiver side where you hear these reports that Dante Pettis now has to earn a role and it's got it's Goodwin and now you know, who I really like as a route runner is Debo Samuel. Like, is that another one where it maybe it's just it's a weird motivation tactic for me because I think Mike, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, screw you, I don't need to earn a role. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, the good coaches keep it that way, and I think that's why Pete Carroll, when he first, you know, when he when he came back into the league the second time, with you know, when he was with the Seattle Seahawks, it was about always compete. Compete, compete, compete. You have to create the culture of competition. You can't allow guys to just say, oh, because I'm listed number one on this depth chart and or because I was here last year, I'm good. Human nature tells you that you're going to relax when you start to get um, – when, when, uh, when contentment just kind of sets in, right? You have to challenge these guys all the time. And so I have no qualms with, you know, with Kyle Shanahan say, no, a good one, Pettis. Y'all ain't locked in. I hope Debo Samuel is the starter because that means he beat you out. You want <laughs> the best 11 on the football field. And when you challenge guys that way, guys usually, especially professional athletes, these guys usually respond in a, in, in a positive way. All right. So, Michael, I'll get you out of here on this. And this kind of ties right back. You, you already answered the preseason question about how much you care about it. But has there been a notable storyline or something you've been paying attention to? Like, for example, the Arizona Cardinals and obviously the Kingsbury offense, which we're not going to only see so much of, but a rookie quarterback in the offensive line looking like it's still going to be a problem because that's, that's in your division. Or is there something else that you've really taken note of that you think is worth at least noting heading into week one? Well, I mean, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of storylines out there. Everything from, you know, whether – you know, how good Cam's going to look, you know, New Orleans, what's going on there, two consecutive years of being, you know, knocked out of the playoffs. Oh, real quick, real quick. I, I want you to tell, tell everybody what you told me and what your article was about, about Cam Newton and his new throwing motion. I'm sorry, sorry to interject to your answer because I want you to come back to it, but I, I want to make sure everybody remembers because you wrote a really interesting article and it was about, uh, you and I talked about it when we were at the Mike Tomlin event, is about that he's trying a new throwing motion and working on it this year. But I said the same thing, and you echoed it, and you told me this. I'm just going to let you say what it was. Yeah, um, I know Cam is, is is trying to, you know, work out a new throwing motion. But, 
you know, quite frankly, uh, I don't think it's going to work. Um, <laughs> just have to, you know, he, he, he's 30 years old. He's been throwing a football the same way for a certain amount of years that's ingrained in him. And I think, I think you know that by how uh, the Carolina Panthers kind of guarded him from cameras uh, showing his throwing motion in 11 on 11 drills, because when you go back to 11 on 11 drills, when, you know, live uh, guys that can hit you are, you know, flying around your feet and things like that, you revert back to what you always are. And, right. and Cam is a wide open thrower. He doesn't have a tight motion. I know he's been working on it, but he's, if he wants to truly change his throwing motion, it may take him three or four years throwing like this to be able to totally change it. You hear what Brady, you hear Brady talk about his throwing motion every single year. And he's, he's arrived at his throwing motion now over 20 years of incremental changes every single year. It wasn't one big change from one, from one year to, a, to another that was a visible difference. Over 20 years, you can see a visible difference. <laughs> Not over one year. So that's why that's what led me to say, I'm not sure if Cam is gonna have, you know, that big throwing motion um, you know, revelation this year. I think it'll it, it'll take him some time. But going back to your question from a storyline standpoint, that I I'm I'm not sure people are talking about uh that much. Um down there in Jacksonville, man, Nick Foles, right? Super Bowl MVP. Looking good. Yeah, looking good. Are you a DJ Chark guy or are you DD Westbrook? Or are you just both of them? I like them all. I like them all. <laughs> um, but, 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 but honestly, you're brought in. This team went to the AFC Championship with Blake Bortles, <laughs> the Super Bowl champion. If this team doesn't go to the Super Bowl or at least be right there knocking at the door, was this a bad pickup? I don't know. <laughs> you know, does it mean you're going to throw the ball a lot more? Your new offensive coordinator who was – um who was down there with um, Minnesota last year, who was with, who was with Philly with you, um, your new office coordinator, John Filippo, he got fired from Minnesota from, for throwing the ball too much. <laughs> Is that going to happen here? And I just don't know if people are even watching that. You know, you, you, you think that you just add a Super Bowl MVP and now all your problems are gone. I think that Nick Foles is going to miss Doug Peterson more than he thinks because the way Doug Peterson called the plays, the way Doug Peterson protected, uh, uh, protected, um, what's his quarterback name? Nick Foles. I'm sorry. The way he protected him with the play caller is what made Nick Foles successful. So I'm watching that situation down there with a very, very close eye because I know a lot of people thought the addition of Nick Foles would mean automatic championship for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, that's a good piece of information. Hey, make sure everybody, if you're not already, which would be surprising, it's at Real Mike Rob. Before you get out of here, anything you want to promote, maybe the NFL forward, anything, you know, personally wise you're, you're, you want out there? Oh, man, I'm, I'm always promoting, you know, putting good energy out there, guys. Uh, I, I run a foundation, a football foundation here locally in Richmond, Virginia, Excel to Excellence, Excel to Excellence Youth Football Foundation. We run youth football here in the central region. Um, and we run the city of Richmond's youth football as well. We believe in um, the game of football as a skill identifier, nothing more, nothing less. There's a 1.6 chance that our babies in youth football around the, around the country make it to the National Football League. To me, that stat says that it's almost guaranteed that they won't make it. So you got to get more out of football. 
Okay. For example, when a quarterback drops back, notices a three deep defense, notices the flat coverage, one's a linebacker, one's a safety, he hits his back foot, throws the out high and outside to the linebacker side. Why? Because the linebacker is less athletic and he can't flip his hips fast enough. That is coding. Somebody at Google gets pays a lot of money to code websites. And our babies have been doing this since they were five years old, but nobody puts value to it when it's in the game of football. At our foundation, we try to put value to those sustainable skills that makes that makes kids successful in life so they can go on to college and um, study what, what they're good at and be successful in life. So that's the, the you know, that's what we're all about. And I think that's what football should be about across the country. Because again, one point six chance that our babies get to the National Football League. That's it. <laughs> so as bad as money as you can get. Really appreciate your time, Mike Robinson. Uh, one of the best. And uh, we'll have to do it again. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And let's get to the second guest of today, one of my favorites, and he knows that because, I mean, when I see him in person, I tell him that he's one of my favorites. He's been one of my favorites since I've ever known him, and if you've ever been following anything I've ever done, and I reference when it talks about, like, hey, this is some scouting stuff I saw from Emery. It's Emery Hunt of F-Ball Game Plan. If you're not following him on YouTube, if you're not following him on Twitter, if you're not following him in general, you're missing out on a ton of information because – the one thing, I'll tell you, Emery, the one that I pound home more than anything because it was one of the first times you and ever, or I were ever on the same show is when you told me about Sony Mike drives his legs into the ground every single play. And it's like ever since then, it's just like these are the kind of things you see that I don't see. <laughs> well, you know, it's, sometimes it's coming from experience, man. I, I probably ran a little bit like him, so I know that knee injury very well. Um, <laughs> But I appreciate the the lead in, man. It's, it's always awesome joining you on the on the uh, on the show. Yeah, make, like I said, everybody out there, make sure you go check out the YouTube page too. Is Emery's out there every single week throughout the season? Actually, has been already. He's out there at camps. He's out there at schools. This is like, well, how much? How many players did you finish with last year? Seven hundred and fifty. What? Something like that. I want to say it was close to eight hundred, man. It, you know, <laughs> a little, it was it was actually a little bit over eight hundred by the time uh, pro day season was done. So yeah, we finally hit a big number, and we. I mean, we're excited about it, man. If you're doing this, you're supposed to be out there. I was surprised I didn't see a lot of people out there last week. Yeah, this, uh, so when the XFL comes back around and there's people playing there and you're like, wow, who, who's this guy? Trust me, Emory's covered him. Emory. <laughs> so so uh, just a great resource. But let's jump into it. Look, I already asked Mike Robinson about the Colts and Jacoby Percet, but since you wrote an article over at The Athletic about it, I want to ask you, and your projections are higher than I thought I would see. You said you can be set for a line this season of 3,800 yards and 29 touchdowns. Uh, I don't have, like, the yards, are not, we're not that far off on. I'm, I'm way off on the touchdowns. I only have from 23. You seem pretty confident. What's different from a couple of years ago to now that makes you feel that he's going to be able to not pick up all the slack but most of it? Well, it's just the comfort with the scheme. He, you know, he's been in this offense for two years now, and the comfort with the guys that he's around, guys that he has worked with for two and for some some players maybe three years. So, continuity is, is king in football, and he's been working with these guys, and he has that confidence now. And I, you know, you look at what what they did last year with Andrew Luck. They threw the ball about forty times a game. They probably won't do that with Jacoby Brissett until he proves he can handle that. So. With the way the NFL is and with the way the passing game has flourished uh, in this era of, of football, I, I think getting 29 is is easy to do if you're Jacoby Brissett. The reason why you look at a quarterback, let's say you look at a quarterback like Dak Prescott, and he doesn't have to have, you know, 29 to 30 
touchdown passes because he also creates touchdowns with his legs. Jacoby isn't of that type. Um, so I, I think he's more along the lines of Jameis Winston and how he throws the football. And I think he's going to have that opportunity to, to approach or creep toward 30 uh, passing touchdowns this season because of the continuity, because of his talent, because he's, uh, you know, comfortable within the scheme. And I think that trust w- will grow as the season moves on. All right. Well, then let's – I don't want to spend too much time on the calls, but just one more question there because you talk about continuity. And one of the things that people are saying out there is like, well, he loved Jack Doyle. He's going to throw to Jack Doyle. And I push back with this, Emery, is it's a completely different roster. Like, yes, he has T.Y. Hilton and J- Jack Doyle, but he didn't have Marlon Mack. He didn't have Naeem Hines. And he didn't have Funches and Paris Campbell and go down to Deion Kane and down the line. Can we really – and especially Eric Ebron. So, can we count that Jack Doyle is going to be his boy again? Or is this kind of something, a trap that people fall into too often? Is that this is almost a completely different roster? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Brady Love was Welker until he got Randy Moss. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, do you think that Jack Doyle or Eric Ebron will have? I'll ask you that. I'll put you on the spot. Who has the better season, Ebron or Jack Doyle? Ebron. Okay. Fair enough. See, there you go. I'm with you. I'm glad. Okay. Now, to continue with what we were saying before about this is an article, go out and check on theathletic.com. If you're listening to this podcast, mentioned it before, theathletic.com slash all in sports, you get 40% off. We have these draft kit articles out there. Emery gives you these dives, which are just terrific. The podcast coming out. Emery's on another podcast. All this type of stuff. But one of the things you covered was the Jets. And you covered the Jets' offense. And I actually retweeted it a couple times. Love that article. It was about their offense and what you've seen so far because you've seen it in person. Let's start at quarterback with Sam Darnold. There's some people that point to the last four games and say, man, he finished the season great. But if you look closer, it was kind of like two really good games and then two kind of eh games. So – Sam Darnold, year two, what are you thinking there? You know, Sam Darnold, I think he's going to do okay. I think his offense is going to be better than what people expect it to be. Um, Now, they won't be Kansas City's offense, but for the Jets, they'll be playing winning football, in my opinion. I think Darnold, you know, could could have similar similar numbers to Jacoby Brissett. I think the biggest issue for Darnold is going to be cutting down on the turnovers. You know, he seems like he's going to be – a guy that's going to average 12 to 15 interceptions a season. You just hope that the touchdown number is well over 30 to to supersede any turnovers he may have. So you hope that this year with Le'Veon Bell and all the additions they've made to that roster, that he doesn't have to really try to force things. The best play in in their playbook right now is probably a dump off to either Montgomery or Bell because those guys are like pseudo receivers anyway and he could do a lot of things after the catch. So I would look for him to have a good year, um, not game-breaking year, not Pro Bowl year, but a, a solid year, one that's going to have the Jets in playoff contention. All right, well, then let's talk about that back that you just mentioned. So there's two things here. Is One is Le'Veon Bell has been off the field because he's not playing the preseason. They're just going to get rolling week one. So from your perspective, when that, does that lead to any concerns for you saying, you know what? It's not the Steelers. This is a new team. This is a new offense. We know what Le'Veon Bell is and how great he could be. But at the same time, maybe we would like to see a few snaps with him. Or is it the fact of, you know what, these teams see enough, and that's why so many people are sitting in this preseason in general. And then, two, when Le'Veon Bell is out there on week one, can Ty Montgomery still have value, or is he only getting real usage because there is no Le'Veon Bell right now? Yeah, he's only getting real usage because there's no Bell. At practice, I'm pretty sure Bell is getting all the reps. And that's the other part of it, too. They've seen Bell a lot in practice. They've probably put themselves, that, that offense, 
that starting offense through numerous situations to where, you know, he's getting a lot of quote-unquote live reps uh, in practice. So I'm not worried about him not playing in the preseason. Him playing five to six plays in the preseason doesn't really matter because he's getting a lot of work at practice. What I would be interested in seeing, though, is how they incorporate the rest of that personnel once the season starts because they, they have a unique quartet of backs, in my opinion. I know they, they have Trent Cannon, who's been a star on special teams, so you can figure he's going to lock down the spot. Elijah McGuire is another one that's similar to Trent Cannon, but also similar to Ty Montgomery. Is that they're, they're very good runners, but blazing speed and, and very good receivers. So there's a bunch of guys on this roster that, that could – you can see them utilize many different personnel groupings, which is why I asked that question after the preseason game last week. And he kind of just, you know, <laughs> I saw it. Said, oh, well, uh, you know, one of our main guys is not playing. Like, yeah, well, I didn't ask you that. I kind of, you know, I kind of, <laughs> so um, we'll see. I think they have a lot of good personnel. If I was, a, if I was still coaching, I would love to take the reins of this, this job here with the Jets because of what you can do with those backs. We'll just see how they're going to utilize them uh, week one. Hey, as a quick aside, uh, just as like this point, do you think we're heading towards a lot more players just not even playing in the preseason? And do you think that part two leads to the potential 18 game and maybe two preseason games as a, as a compromise? I think we'll see, you know, player, more players not play. I don't know if we're going to get to 18 games and the league wants it. You know, when you look up at Canada, at the CFL, they have 18 games and two preseason games. And, you know, as much as I love the CFL, their product is just is different um, than the NFL to where the field is wider, it's a faster pace, it's more spread out. Uh, so maybe you can get by with 18 games. And even then, 18 games with the way the NFL is currently is won't work. So you either eliminate the preseason games and keep it at 16 or shrink the preseason to two games and still keep the regular season at 16. Yeah, or you actually give you know, a bigger paycheck if they're going to play 18 games and they'll stuff it all in the back. I think that's – honestly, I think that's the biggest sticker point is that, you, you know, you got to give the players money. That, that's the problem there. All right, so let's circle back. Let's get back to this. Talk about the Jets. So let's talk about the Giants. Well, no, 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 real quick, I forgot. Let's just talk about the Jets wide receivers. So – what have you seen? Because I love what you pointed out, and I've been getting Jameson Crowder in fantasy leagues a lot so far. And now news today, Emery, Robbie Anderson is dealing with a calf injury, which, you know, there's still plenty of time, week and a half before the season starts. But the, the, the other part of this is how do you evaluate when it comes to strength of opponent? And I say strength of opponent because not strength of schedule because we all know that's overrated and people fall into that trap all the time. But Robbie Anderson specifically has one of the worst slates of corners of any receiver in the league this year. The, just the stack of how many top-end guys he sees. Was that part of your reason that you're behind Jamison Crowder to begin with? Or do you think Robbie Anderson can have big enough plays that he can overcome? Is he, is he at the point where he can overcome some of that? He can overcome some of that. You have to expect him to, to play well because he's, you know, he's an NFL player going up against NFL corners. Uh, well, it was funny, the whole Jamison Crowder thing. I went to two practices. Uh, two mini camp practices and back in May and immediately saw Crowder is going to be a, a, a huge factor in his offense because of two reasons. One, he's quick and he gets open really, really fast. And two, Darnold just doesn't have the patience to find something deep downfield. So whoever flashes open first or if it's not easily defined as open deep downfield, 
he's going to go to that option. And that option seems to have always been Jameson Crowder. And it was obviously any, more, more, a lot of the things I say tend to sound radical when I say them initially. But <laughs> if you let it sit and stew, say, man, that dude was dead on. And now you're starting to see a lot more articles of people talking about Jameson Crowder. And, you know, he's a guy that, that Sam has developed great chemistry with. Like, duh, I saw that back in May. And I try to tell you guys back in May, but nobody listens. You know, they see it already. So uh, I think he's going to be the, the safety valve, the, the you know, the, the chain mover within that offense. Because Inouye is good, but – you can't really trust his health. And Robbie Anderson, like you mentioned, has those tough matchups. They're going to have to move him around to try to find some opportunities. Um, and he's more relegated to, in my opinion, to like being a deep or in a intermediate to deep threat. Crowder can work all levels of the field, but I think in the short area is where he's going to have the most value within his offense. Yeah, if Jameson Crowder stays healthy, I think we could be looking at 90-plus receptions from this guy. So I'm excited about that. Let's talk about, as I said, the Giants and the other team you've been seeing a lot of. You talked about two things I want to skew, kind of skew, skew, not the right word, uh, like run through here, is with the Giants offense, you said the offensive line is going to help people. And obviously any offensive line giving a quarterback time is going to help people in general. But even with the help, Eli Manning's still a quarterback. Sterling Shepard is going to be asked to be the number one. Those are two big questions in everybody's mind that can Eli Manning have anything left? And then two, can Sterling Shepard handle being a number one and getting that kind of defensive attention? What are your thoughts there? Or do you think it's going to have to be wait until Golden Tate gets back in week five before we see a real click in this offense? I think who's probably going to overtake that, that wide receiver one role uh, while Golden Tate is, is out is probably going to be Evan Ingram. He has had a fantastic training camp. He looks to be in great shape. He's confident in what he's doing. He, he's comfortable with the scheme. And I think he's, he's primed for a breakout season. That allows a guy like Sterling Shepard to, to, to own his number two role that he has owned since he's gotten there. And, and that is going to allow them to work really well because you, you factor Barkley, Ingram, and, and, and Shepard should be enough options in the passing game and, and they're going to get whatever they get from uh you know Cody Latimer or uh Russell Shepard or someone like that or Brenton Golden if he's around whoever they get uh, um Benny Fowler whoever they get to be that that third guy and whatever they get from him is just going to be bonus a bonus or icing on the cake yeah. All right. So, what are your what are your expectations then for Sterling Shepard as a whole? If you think Evan Ingram is going to kind of be their number one, are we potentially? Let's say it this way: Sterling Shepard potential chance of being a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, or I mean, is he potentially going to struggle all year? Shepard, I think, is going to be what he has always been. He's probably a wide receiver three. You know, a, a consistent, like I wrote in the article, a glue guy, a guy that you know you you love to have on your team in real life and also in fantasy. He's a filling guy. If you have an open – if you're struggling with your wide receiver three or your flex spot, you throw Sterling Shepard in there and he does well for you. So I think that's the expectation in my in my opinion. That's where he should thrive once again because he's been as consistent as you can you can get at that position. And, you know, when you look at his numbers, his catches, and his touchdowns, so I think that's going to be more the same regardless of who's playing on the opposite side. All right, fair enough. All right, so let's continue through with these Giants. You're, let's say this, Daniel Jones is probably starting at some point this year. Was that 
stock up or stock down in your opinion? Because I know you're like, I'll just let you share it, but I know your opinion during the draft process and Daniel Jones, because we had a very similar opinion, but of all the reports out there, Daniel Jones has been glowing. The, the, the reviews are off the chart so far. Gettleman's like poking fun at all of us saying we're stupid. Man. Uh, <laughs> what I, what I say is this, like the reason why he's looking great in preseason is there's still no pressure. There's no game plan, no blitzing, no adjustments, nothing. It's strictly vanilla defenses, and he's executing, which is great. You want him to do that because he could easily go out there and, and have struggles like we saw Will Greer have uh, against the Buffalo Bills. So you like that he's not struggling, but you have to keep it in perspective. And so when you watch him play, that first game against the Jets, what, everyone focused on the five for five, but what people – people forgot about or didn't focus on was how he was out there with the starting offensive line, how he had seven seconds to throw, which is why I watched that from, from the first game. Then you look at the second game against the bears starting offensive line still was out there doing the same thing for both Eli and also Daniel Jones. I'm like, man, this offensive line is looking excellent. And yes, he's, he's completing his passes. He's doing what he's being asked to do. But if you combine all of what he has done, that's probably what, two and a half quarters maybe uh, of, of throws of action you know, if, if you were projecting for a full game, so still a lot to be seen, but you like that. He's not looking completely terrible out there or looking overwhelmed, <laughs> uh, which is what you would expect a sixth overall pick to not do. Um, but we, st- we still shall see with, with Daniel Jones because in practice, it's a completely different story because you're getting pressure in practice and they're blitzing you and they're doing different things to confuse you. Uh, but in the preseason game, you're not getting that. So you're actually tested more in practice than you are in these actual games in which you're playing in. So should we be concerned if he starts at some point for everybody on this roster? Eh, I, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. I think he's comparable. I think he's comparable to what, what you're getting right now with Eli. So um, I don't, I don't think he, I, the one thing that, what may be an uptick is his uh, athleticism. So he may be a guy that could take off and run. Uh, so that may be a, an, an additional bonus uh, when, if, if he starts, you know, it, it, if Eli is out there struggling, if, if they're two and six, then Daniel Jones will play. Uh, but if they're 500 by week eight, then it'll still be more Eli. All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. So let's continue and move on to some other teams and something that you said, few weeks ago and there's been a lot of hype at the time actually I think this was right before right I forget whichever it was at the time it didn't sound so crazy to some people you're saying Kyler Murray could be top five or should be top five given history and given his ability and then people started panicking and jumping off bridges Emory it was go, it was bananas like forget it like everything's on fire run for the woods it's just out of control Kyler Murray stinks the offensive line stinks the Cardinals are going to stink uh, where are you twofold? One is your overall thoughts on Kyler Murray and this offense as a whole. And then two, how much weight do you put into things like this in the preseason where things just look awful in week two? And then he looks pretty good at times in week three. Like, how much weight do you put into that? Not much weight at all. It's, I mean, you, you, when you're making projections, you're projecting the talent. And when you look at Kyler Murray, you know he has tremendous talent. And they're in a unique situation because they can't show anything because this is a new coach, new scheme. And so they really want to go into the regular season 
catching everybody off guard. And you really can't give an NFL team um, much leeway whose job all day long is to find ways to dissect your game plan. And so they have to go out there and be extremely vanilla. So I, I understand why they hadn't seen anything. But people said the same thing about uh, Tom uh, uh, Deshaun Watson's preseason. They said the same thing about Cam Newton's preseason. They're saying some of the, th- some of the same things about Kyler Murray. They're praising a guy like Daniel Jones. They praised a guy like Nathan Peterman. So with all of that being a sample, you really can't you know, judge what you're seeing from the preseason and think that's what you're going to see in a regular season, especially in this particular case. So I still believe Kyle Murray is going to be a top five quarterback because of his talent and what they have surrounded, you know, surrounded him with as far as out there on the perimeter. And for this team as a whole, are you with me and your favorite person out there is Christian Kirk? I like, I was, I was a big Christian Kirk fan. I, I like Christian Kirk. I like um, Larry I mean, Fitzgerald. I still think he's going to be phenomenal within his offense. I also like Chase Edmonds as well. Um, so they they have talent. They brought in Michael Crabtree. Is you know he's familiar with this offense or you know the the elements of what this offense is going to be. So they have a lot of positive things going for them um, in this in this offense. Even David Johnson is a guy that uh, still can can resurrect his career uh, with this at, with this offense with this particular quarterback. Uh, real quick, you you mentioned one right there, and then to compare this, and let me put you on the spot for another question: Who has a better season, Michael Crabtree or Keyshawn Johnson? I think Crabtree does veteran leadership. He'll he'll get in there, even though they like Keyshawn. Uh, I do think Crabtree. They brought him in for a reason. I know some will say, "Oh, for depth purposes." Well, yeah, but Crabtree is an experienced guy that that knows how to get open, and I think they're going to side with that while they can continue to develop and bring along. Keyshawn Johnson slowly. Okay, fair enough. All right, so let's talk about two more wide receivers that I know you like. Uh, I definitely – we both love one of them. I don't remember off the top of my head if you're as high as I am or we were in love with the same person. Let's let's start with the one that I know we both love, and that's Miles Boykin. And I've been getting them in fancy drafts everywhere because we were both saying the same thing. Like One of the most underrated wide receivers in this draft class. And as we just saw, Marquise Brown just – finally got on the field, which means he's probably going to be battling Willie Sneed to start the season. And even if he overtakes, which he will, Willie Sneed, I still like Miles Boykin as the best touchdown option on this team. Tell me about Miles Boykin and why you're well, – everybody out there hasn't ever heard me. Tell, tell them why we love him. Because he gets open and he's, he's able to make that contested catch. He also is a very good athlete, so he can go deep. He can go uh, in an intermediate area. He's a really good receiver and, and – you know, when you look at a guy that can play outside and win one-on-one by himself, you, you have to like that. And in this offense, he's going to see a lot of one-on-one opportunities. I just think it's, it's a perfect match for Lamar Jackson, uh, getting a guy like Miles Boykin and also getting a guy like Marquise Brown. All right. So then let's talk about the other one. And you can remind me. I don't remember. So the funny thing was is I, for everybody out there, so when I saw Emery at the combine, this is the first time I ever went to the combine. And I was like, Emery, like, well, what's, what's good things to ask and stuff like this? And and this is another one I even wrote up about it. As you said, one of the best things to ask these players is what's their most underrated skill or overlooked asset that they think they have because it's something that most people don't ask and it kind of gets them to open up. And it was a great question, Emery. I asked a bunch of people that question. It was always like the most – until I got to Debo Samuel. And Debo Samuel looks at me and goes, wow, great question. 
I don't know. <laughs> so, like, really, dude? You can't tell me one thing that you think is great about yourself? So, in any case, I still think he was one of the best route runners in this draft class, and I have been on Team Debo, as in Debo, one of the starters in this team. And, Emery, you're seeing now reports saying Dante Pettis has to, quote, unquote, earn a role, even though there's probably motivation. Where are you on Debo and the 49ers receivers? Do you think that he's going to be one of the two best options for this team, or do you think that Dante Pettis is just – this is motivation. He's still going to take over as a number one. I, I absolutely think um, Debo is going to be one of the top two receivers on that team. And I wrote this article last year for The Athletic, always better on talent. You know, when you look at the talent and look at that dog that he has, that's the guy you want. That's the dude that you see every game doing something – whether it's catching the ball and, you know, weaving his way through traffic or catching the pass and stiff on the defender or just big boring a, a DB in a route or laying a hellacious block, he's always popping up with something that just is physical that pre-makes throughout the rest of the team that he's probably got a lot of friends on the team that's on the defensive side of the ball because of how he plays. And that type of guy warrants the football, and they're going to find ways to get him the ball. And every time we've seen him in the preseason, he has done something spectacular, made a big play. And that's why I think he's going to be the one or two option in his offense. They drafted him for a reason, and we saw some reasons why in the preseason. So if you had to put money on the other two, is it going to be Goodwin or Pettis in your opinion? Probably uh, Goodwin because he has that that lightning speed, but they're probably one and the same because you don't know what consistency you're going to get from Pettis, and you don't with health, you're going to get from good ones. So they're probably a, a wash. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, two more things will get you out of here. One is, speaking of receivers, there's a lot of rookies, and you talked about them. You talk about rookie wide receivers making impacts, which doesn't always happen in fantasy. But in the article, Miko Harbin, Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, both on the Patriots, obviously, Preston Williams, who continues to get some rave reviews until recently. He's kind of dropped off and they stopped talking about him. But – of all these guys, I don't know if you necessarily like rank them, but like, I guess who do you think has the best chance? Is it, is it Michael Harmon just because of where he is? Or do you think that this Jacoby Myers hype is real? Because as you know, and not a lot of people do, he's still transitioning tactically. He still hasn't fully become the wide receiver that he's transitioning from a previous quarterback position. Yeah. I mean, you talk about um, what they bring to the table. I mean, listen, and you're talking about Myers, correct? Yes. Myers catching the football and, and finding himself open, being that consistent threat, uh, is, is pretty impressive to see. And I think people – it's funny how the pendulum swings to each opposite of the extreme, where you, you have uh, – when, when he was going off early in the preseason, all you heard was Jacoby Myers. He has <laughs> one off game. Now he's not even going to make the roster. Yeah, now it's crickets. <laughs> right, now it's crickets. Like, man, as if he can't have – an off game, which you saw, which which you saw more of is probably what he is. He's consistent, um, which is why he was who he was at NC State along with Kev, uh, Calvin Harmon. So I think he's, I think he'll be fine. I just think that offense, you never really know. It's like trying to figure out who's going to be the Patriots' tailback. So uh, you know, you just kind of have to wait and see. All right, so let's get you out of here with this one, then, Emory. And by the way, again, everybody follow you. <laughs> on YouTube, F-Ball Game Plan. Just, if you want the insight of a scout and some of the best information you're going to find, make sure you're following Emery. The Bills running back situation, this is a two-part question. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, speaking of rave reviews, has been getting, hey, look, he's got this burst back that he still has late in his career. But here's the question. 
your opinion on Devin Singletary, one, as a running back, and then with that thought process, the opportunity that he could potentially take over this backfield and be the lead option this year. I like his, I like his footwork his, and his elusiveness. He kind of reminds me of a cross between McCoy and Gore. Uh, he's built low to the ground, has some wiggle, but he just doesn't have that explosive burst that LaShawn McCoy has, which is why LaShawn McCoy is a, is a great back. Um, and we still saw him – we still seen, have seen him do some of those things in the preseason. His footwork is still impressive. So I don't think Singletary takes over for McCoy unless they just flat out get rid of McCoy, which I don't see happening. Uh, I see him as a nice compliment, giving a little bit of what McCoy brings to the table, which is good, keeps, helps keep the offense on pace. But McCoy is still a dog in, in this age, and, and I like what he brings to the table. Okay, fair enough. Actually, you know what? I, I lied. I'm going to get one more question. What in the preseason, and maybe it's from the Jets and from the Giants or whatever, he's, what's the one thing in the preseason that's caught your eye the most that you said, mm, wow, they, you know, I wasn't like expecting that, or wow, that player is doing more than I thought he would, or maybe on the bad side, maybe like, oh, wow, this, this guy's uh, looking worse than I thought he was going to be? Just how uh, fast Kansas City's offense is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Miko Harmon, Tyreek Hill, uh, Kelsey has speed for a tight end. And, you know, the fact that they, they brought back De'Anthony Thomas, man, that, uh, you know, that right there is just – I'm excited to see how, how those guys incorporate all, all of that speed within that offense. And it's just been an overall just, you know, bland preseason. You, just, you like to see the passing game from Baltimore and, and what they've done with Lamar Jackson kind of forcing him to not run. Uh, but we know that's going to be – a part of what he does in the regular season in addition to what he can do as a passer. So I think that offense is, is primed to be a top five, top eight offense um, in the NFL. And I'm excited to see how that goes. Cleveland's defense is as good as advertised as far as the front seven is concerned. I like what they have in the secondary too. Um, I'm more worried about their offensive line, man. I think that right there is a big uh, question mark. Um, so, I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't even thinking about that. That's a good, that's a good two part question. So I lied. We're getting two more questions in. And since you brought up the Browns one, are we potentially overrate? Well, actually it's the same question with two aspects to it is, are we potentially overrating the passing game for the Browns because of two reasons, the offensive line. And then two, the defense is going to be so good that they won't need to pass that much. That That's a good point. I, I could see that happening. Plus they got, you know, good running backs and Chubb and uh, when they get Kareem Hunt back in the mix after suspension, they, I mean, they have the ability to close out games. So you're right. Maybe the everybody, and I've been a victim of this too, because on paper you look at Landry and Beckham and you thought Callaway was going to be there, but he's going to be suspended. So, you know, maybe Higgins can, can fill that, that void. And he doesn't, to me, he doesn't have the same cachet as Callaway but Baker has great rapport with him. I'm not the, the biggest David and Joku fan. I, I think he's a good player, but some people are talking about him as a great tight end. He's not consistent to be great yet. I think he's solid. Um, and Baker still has the tendency to make some ill-advised throws. And, you know, I think he tends to – he's going to run himself into some sacks um, by how he vacates the pocket. Now he's going to break – loose of that and, and find a guy deep down the field. So you kind of live with that, that, um, that element of his game. I think Baker, to be honest, is, is going to be more of what we saw last year. 
I think that's who Baker is. And um, when you add who he is along with the ability to uh, run the ball better, I think the running game is going to be, you know, significant in Cleveland. Freddie Kitchens was a former – he was a running backs coach there. I know he was a quarterback. He kind of played like Baker Mayfield back there, back in Alabama. I remember watching him in college. Um, So – I see this running game, and, and you're right. I think we are overrating this passing game just a little bit. I think people kind of expect 4,000 yards from Baker, three 1,000-yard <laughs> receivers, uh, two 1,000-yard backs. I just don't see that being the offense with the defense that they have and with the way they can run the ball. I just don't see it being, you know, the greatest show on turf. I, I see it being a productive offense that can get them into the playoffs. Oh, I'm glad you said that. If you, you remember this uh, back in June when we were doing the overrated, I let it off with Baker Mayfield. And one of the things you said, if he is like last year, and even saying last year, last year when he caught fire towards the end, even from that point on, if you want to talk specifically just fantasy, he was still only QB9 and QB10 and fantasy points per game, not even like fantasy points overall, like talking about per game. So that if he's that from last year, the people saying he's immediately going to be QB4 or 5, might be overestimating a little bit, so I'm with you on that one. But I'm with Emery on a lot of things. And, like, anytime I have an opinion, and if Emery and I are completely opposite sides, I'll tell you what, I think twice and I go back and look again. That's how good he is. So I really appreciate you coming on, Emery. Uh, what's your, you, you know what, you re, what, what your next piece is going to be on, on The Athletic yet? You know, uh, um, I don't know yet. It's, you know, I may have a preseason recap uh, leading into week one. That'd be uh, good like a Hunt's uh, outlook and then starting lineup, you know, teeing off into to week one, that may be my next piece. But then after that, it'll be like, you know, my traditional what what to look out for, Hunt starting lineup, and what did we learn this past weekend, you know, that those type of pieces. All right, sounds good, and you can learn a lot from memory. So please pay attention to him, and uh, I appreciate it again, man. You have a good one. Anytime, man. Once again, that was Mike Robinson and Emery Hunt. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as the audio wasn't that great on my end, kind of sounding water and talking like this the whole time. So in any case, I don't know why I added a little bit of Southern accent to that. I'll be back next week, next Wednesday, as the NFL season kicks off. Jason Moore is going to be joining me from the Fantasy Footballers. Yes, great show, great guest to kick off the season. Again, appreciate you guys. Have a good one. I hope you draft well for the rest of this week, and uh, I'll see you next week.